Welcome to this podcast from Neurogastroenterology and Motility. It publishes original research and topical reviews on basic and clinical aspects of gastrointestinal sensation and motility, as well as brain-gut interactions. So welcome everyone to this month's podcast from Neurogastroenterology and Motility. My name is Adam Farmer and I'm a gastroenterologist at the Wingate Institute of Neurogastroenterology at Barts in London. And this month it's really my great pleasure to welcome my uh, good friend and colleague, Dr Anthony Hobson. Anthony is a consultant uh, clinical scientist at the Functional Gut uh, Clinic in London. So Anthony, welcome to the podcast and congratulations to you and your co-authors, of which I'm one, on your paper entitled The Effects of Comicinal, a Novel Motlin Agonist on Gastroesophageal Function in Healthy Humans, a Randomised Placebo Controlled Trial. So Anthony, if I could start off, could you tell me a little bit about uh, four gut disorders of GI motility? Thanks, Adam, uh, and, and really great that you've uh, picked uh, our paper for this feature. Um, the problem with foregut disorders of GI motility is really trying to put together the changes in physiology that occur and trying to correlate that with patient symptoms. You know, sometimes the stomach empties too quickly, sometimes it's too slow, sometimes it's normal, and it's sensitivity that's the problem. So the real challenge for us has been to, uh, first of all, try and characterize foregut disorders of GI motility and do that objectively with, with advanced physiology techniques and then really to try and develop treatments that might work on that mechanism and see whether that provides a um, you know good mechanistic and, and, and symptomatic benefit for patients and in particular we were interested in the group of patients that had delayed gastric emptying caused by diabetes or the secondary effect of diabetes and this can be the type 1 or type 2 diabetes. Uh, not all patients with this condition actually have delayed gastric emptying, uh, but in those patients that do, it's thought that that produces problems with insulin control, it produces problems in how they absorb medicines, and it provides uh, you know, symptoms such as bloating, reflux, belching, uh, and early satiety. So it's a condition that with uh, a pretty much unmet medical need uh, and a known mechanism, so it seemed like a good place for us to um, you know, focus some, some efforts uh, in, in sort of developing new treatments. So I think one of the problems that, uh, that many clinicians, particularly in, in, in the UK and the US, have had recently is that many of the uh, prokinetic drugs that we've used for, for many years in the treatment of these kind of patients have, uh, have become uh, restricted in, in their use. Certainly in the UK we've had uh, domperidone uh, restricted recently regarding uh, concerns around cardiovascular uh, side effects. Where do you think erythromycin particularly sits uh, in terms of treating these uh, uh, disorders of slow GI motility in the foregut? It's like a lot of these old drugs, um, you know, they have side effects, and one of the side effects of erythromycin is stomach pain. And, and nausea, and suddenly when people looked into those mechanisms that they discovered that erythromycin had, as well as antimicrobial activity, it had effects on the, the smooth muscle of the gut. And there's been some seminal work uh, over the years um, that, that's really looked at this mechanism in greater detail. So um, what's been shown is that erythromycin at low doses can actually stimulate enteric nerves through the motor receptor and pr produce uh, an enhancement of, of peristaltic and, and normal activity. But when erythromycin is used at higher doses, then it actually activates receptors on the muscle, and that's what can cause the 
discoordinated contractions and, and discomfort. So erythromycin has, has been a good tool for people to understand that the motor limb receptor plays a, an important role in, in forebit motility. Um, but it has flaws because it wasn't basically designed for the job. You're, you're basically looking at the side effects of a, a compound that's used to treat infection. Um, so it has limitations, and um, you know, but the mechanism is fairly well understood. So, so um, the drug you used in in your study is a drug, uh, new drug called camisinal. Uh, what's the mechanism of action of camisinal, and why was it developed? It's quite an interesting story. Um, the um, GI group was set up at, at GSK in the uh, kind of mid twenties. Um, uh, is that what it was, 20th century? Um, so about, around about 2004. And basically what the group were trying to do was to look at um, medicines that actually had a known effect on the gut and then to try and improve them. Uh, so erythromycin, um, as you know, has antimicrobial activity. It also has um, you know, side effects. So it also activates other receptor pathways. Uh, and importantly, it also desensitizes the motor receptor causing tachyphylaxis. So the effect of it will wear off, um, you know, if you dose for, for um, you know, a couple of weeks. So you had a target, which you know did something to the gut. You had a patient population which could benefit from this. And therefore the challenge for the chemists and, and, and all of the boffins that basically um, are behind the scenes were to develop... Um, motor agonists that didn't have any of these um, side effects, that didn't have effects on, on the receptor desensitization and, you know, potentially could be safe um, alternatives to things like erythromycin and greatly benefit the population. So that was the idea behind it. And, uh, you know, there's a huge challenge in drug development to move from an idea uh, to identifying um, targets, identifying compounds, looking at safety data, you know, it's an incredibly complex uh, arena. And I think, um, you know, it's a testament to the team at GSK that they don't have to know how the expertise to develop a compound and bring it through to uh, a phase where it could actually be tested in, in um, healthy humans. So what was the hypothesis as, as uh, you embarked on this study? So the the problem with erythromycin is that if you look at the literature, uh, which we did in, in great detail, there was a little bit of speculation as to where erythromycin exerted its effect. There were some studies that showed that you could um, change, for instance, LLS tone, low esophageal sphincter tone, but it had some effect on peristalsis, but it might even have some effect in, in the duodenum, um, whereas you know, the majority of the motor limb receptors are found in, in the stomach. Um, so the hypothesis really was that we have um, a compound which activates the vocal receptor, but we have gaps in our knowledge as to what stimulating the motor receptor does to foregut motility. And in recent years, we've had a fantastic opportunity, really, with advances in technology to really improve the way we objectively assess um, gut motility. So things like high-resolution esophageal manometry allow you to look at peristalsis and sphincter in great detail over prolonged periods. You have things like intraluminal impedance uh, and pH, which will allow you to look at reflux events, but importantly also look at the effectiveness of peristalsis, so how well does the peristalsis clear different boli from the esophageal region. 
So you're not just looking at amplitudes and, and patterns, you're looking at the, the functional consequence of that pattern using impedance. And then in terms of motility, whereas you used to have to um, do um, scintigraphic studies or, or have um, very long catheters in place for long periods, the wireless motility capsule or smart pill has been developed, which meant that you could actually um, monitor whole gut motility, so gastric emptying, small bowel transit, colonic transit, over a prolonged period in happy subjects as part of the, the, the study protocol. So really, we saw as a unique opportunity to bring together all these technological advances with a compound which we, we knew how it worked in a population of, of healthy subjects who should, should function normally to really get a handle on what melting does in the GI tract, at least in health. So what was the study population and, and what particular methods of those did, did you use in, in this study? So we tried to uh, bring this in as early, early as possible into um, clinical development. So after the, the safety um, of the compound had been um, shown with the uh, healthy subjects first time in human studies, then we took a group of healthy male subjects, because obviously there, there needs to be things like reproduction toxicology studies done before you're using females. Um, and... So we chose a healthy subject population with no GI symptoms, uh, so no evidence of reflux or, or other upper gut symptoms. Um, we wanted to look at esophageal peristalsis. We wanted to look at LES tone. We wanted to look at how effective the esophagus was at clearing uh, things pre and post drug. We wanted to see how the motor agonist worked on gastric emptying, which was its main um, pharmacodynamic endpoint but also to see if it had any effects on the small bowel and colonic and whole gut transit times as well. So it was a fairly ambitious study, um, which would not have been possible really um, without the, the new advances in technology. But actually, the healthy subjects tolerated this um, very well, um, and they would go home both with the smart pill and the 24-hour pH recorder um, in, in place. So they were in their own environment, continuing their own um, sort of daily events, and uh, you know, using the, the ambulatory technology. So what were the key results uh, that emanated from the study? I think the exciting results for, for me uh, from a, as a physiologist was, does the mechanism of the drug actually tie in with what we know about the distribution of, of motor receptors in the gut? And these are most uh, you know, richly found within the, um, within the stomach and, and within the antrum. Uh, and whilst there, are, there is evidence there are motor receptors in, in the esophagus and, and duodenum and, and possibly further down the small bowel, uh, you know, when setting out the hypothesis, we predominantly expected this to have an effect on, on the stomach. But because there are such a paucity of treatments for esophageal hypomotility, then it was intriguing to think that we might see an effect on peristalsis and, and LES tone, which could help in patients with that condition and, and indeed in patients with gastroesophageal reflux. So the key results showed that actually using these very detailed um, techniques, we saw no changes in esophageal function. And this is quite interesting because what we think has caused the effects in previous studies were that the, these were done with quite high doses of IV erythromycin. And as I touched on before, at very high doses, you actually start to directly stimulate the, the motor receptors on the, on the uh, muscle. 
So this this was uh, possibly why people saw these kinds of effects uh, in in the past. Whereas using a, a normal dose of the motor agonist, then we didn't see any effect on the esophagus at all. Um, now, thankfully, what we did see was that the um, gastric residence time of the smart pill was reduced when on, on drug compared to placebo. So that tells us something about how well the stomach empties, how quickly it gets back into its fasting state and produces migrating motor complexes, and how quickly the capsule is then expelled. The capsule itself is, is a large particle and will only empty once the meal or 95% of the meal has left the stomach. That's when it will go back into its kind of housekeeping rhythm and the capsule will move out. And it's one of the unique features of smart pilling that you can look at both fed and, and fasting activity. And then what we saw further down the GI tract was that although the, the whole gut transit time was slightly reduced, um, this was not really due to any uh, differences in small bowel transit times or indeed colonic transit times, but it was mainly due to the reduction in, in gastric emptying. So what we found from a physiological point of view was that the drug exerted its effect where the, um, the, the highest density of motor receptors are, and it kind of narrowed down the um, physiological benefit that might um, occur from uh, from such compounding development to um, uh, you know a stomach response and, and actually reducing um, or, or speeding up gastric emptying. So those I think those results are, are very exciting and have a wider implication for the field across a number of disorders. But what do you think the limitations of your study were? Well, the obvious limitation was that we were studying healthy subjects. Um, and I guess what we were trying to do was to stimulate the spare capacity that is seen in, in health. And one can not always predict how that might work in, in people with gastroparesis, where the enteric nerves or um, the receptors may be disrupted. Because if you've got a compound which actually activates nerves, then um, you know you, you require the nerves to be somewhat intact to have that benefit. Um, the other thing that we saw that was was of, of interest was was that in those patients that had the slower gastric emptying, they also had an increased number of, of reflux events. And by um, speeding up gastric emptying, you seem to reduce the numbers of these uh, events. But the limitation of that finding, of course, is that you're not. Um, reducing reflux events in patients with pathological gastroesophageal reflux. So really what we did with the study was to, to um, eke out as much information, physiological and, and pharmacological information, out of a uh, healthy volunteer study. But then that's the um, theme to um, move forward into clinical populations and see how, how that um, translates into further further development. And if I could just ask you one uh, final question in, in, in more broad sense, where do you think the knowledge gaps uh, lie in the field and, and, and where do you think the field's going in the future? I think the big challenge for everyone in the field is to try and understand the relationship between symptoms and physiology. Um, because most of the patients that describe GI symptoms um, come from populations that are at best are, are heterogeneous, heterogeneous and at worst are just not very well classified at all, then trying to put together um, a, a clinical study in a group of patients that have symptoms, which is generally the, the end point you want to improve as a, as a clinician, um, 
is very challenging. And even if you then maybe change that mechanism, there's no guarantee that the, that the symptoms would improve. So, for instance, it's been shown that um, in um, about 20% of the patients with symptoms of bloating and, and evidence of um, early satiety and, and things like symptomatically, then they also have colour system problems in the colon and constipation and so forth. So I think the big challenge for everyone is to try and understand um, the contribution um, of abnormal motility to the generation of symptoms and understand how um, you may be able to improve um, both with um, pharmacological agents. So it's not an inconsiderable challenge, um, but I think with the technology that we have now that allows you to look objectively at physiology in a way that we've never had the chance to before, I think we're closer to achieving that than we've um, ever been before. Yes, I entirely agree that trying to, uh, uh, for want of a better term, physiologically phenotype patients uh, with relationship to their symptoms is is absolutely key in, in moving forward in terms of trying to predict and individualise uh, treatment for our patients so Anthony with that I'd like to thank you and and the co-authors really for your excellent paper and assisting in this month's podcast and also thank our listeners of course for for tuning in I look forward to welcoming you again next month uh, for another further information about this paper can be found on the journal website we hope that you have enjoyed this podcast and we look forward to welcoming you to next month's edition